Well, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Masters of Fail. I'm Jose Malabo, and I'm glad to have you here. I've been looking forward to this discussion uh, probably more than anything else this week. Uh, I've been fortunate enough in my career to get around the world and meet some amazing people in my travels, both as a startup founder as well as in my corporate life. And uh, no one comes to the top of the list uh, more so than the gentleman that's getting on the call with me today, Jay Jane, um, who I met about 10 years ago. And it's crazy to think it's been that long when we were launching offices for LinkedIn in Mumbai. Jay is an interesting entrepreneur. His career started as a tech writer, and I think that's when I met him, when he was winding down from that, I believe. Moved into becoming a travel writer, uh, and then now, uh, he did what I think a lot of people might think unthinkable. During COVID, when the rest of us were sheltering in place and trying to stay away from each other, he founded five bookstores in the Delhi-Gurgaon region of, of India. Um, and we've since caught up, and I just had to have him on, on the podcast because I think his journey and his story has so many amazing you know, twists and turns that uh, I had to share. So, so welcome to Masters of Fail, Ajay. It's good to see you again. Thank you so much. Great to be here. We got to start with where you are right now, because when we caught up recently, I just was, I guess, agog uh, that you you launched. I want I say this, brick and mortar, you know, bookstores, right in India. That's right. That's right. So, what was happening at that time in the last couple of years? That you, what did you see in the marketplace in India and the world that you're like, hey, I'm going to go the opposite of what everybody else is doing and start some bookstores? Well, I wouldn't say it's really opposite because uh, people are reading books. I think year on year uh, sales are going up. And uh, and I read some statistics that even in a tech-driven country like the US, uh, print books continue to you know account for over 80% of all books being read. So electronic books haven't really kind of taken off the way we perceive them to be, and certainly not uh, outside the US. And uh, so I, I, I realized that, uh, uh, like, like with everything else, there are some businesses, you know, some basics which will always kind of stay fashionable. And going to a marketplace, going to a, a bookshop, um, going for a coffee somewhere, uh, it will always be there, right? So I said, okay, let's set up bookshops. And it was also partly motivated by wanting to do something meaningful for society, right? So it's uh, actually a whole bunch of factors that came together. And one of the factors was, okay, if I have my own bookshops, I'll be able to sell more books of mine. So <laughs> that, that, that's true. I, I, it, it's one thing to be the author. It's another thing to be the author in the store. Yeah. During COVID, uh, you know, when all of us were, you know, uh, sitting and staring at either the wall or at Netflix, you know, I was like, you know, I was writing some books, but I was thinking like, you know, okay, I'm writing more books, but how, how am I going to sell them? Because publishers all over the world, not just in India, okay, they're happy to publish your books, but they hardly invest in marketing, right? And in the past, uh, you know, when I took my book, books to different distributors and different bookshops, even if they're willing to kind of stock them, they never really moved much because, you know, nobody was promoting them, right? So I said, okay, let's create a platform where um, we not, not just sell my books, but of course other books too, but also create a platform where we bring authors and uh, readers together. And uh, so, so we've, we've actually built up bookshops more like community places where uh, uh, a lot of interaction happens. 
and uh, just like i think in the last 6 months since we opened the stores we've already hosted over 350 authors you have very novel approaches in terms of how you bring people into the space correct yeah so you know when i was doing my research uh, you know about what works and what doesn't work for bookshops around the world um, i read one line somewhere it said bookshops don't fail bookshops run by lazy booksellers fail <laughs> that, that I, i i can see that i can see that and and yeah. to your point i've bought more paper books i'm looking around my office now in the last year than i have kindle books uh and i found myself reading an actual tabloid newspaper last week um there's something about the the tactile nature of it that i find more comforting now than i did a few years ago um so but but when you told me a couple weeks ago what you were doing to bring people in it was different than even certain things i've seen here in the states in terms of how you pay for things in your in your space yes yeah, so so thing is um uh, like my competition uh, is you know um, at one level there's competition uh, uh with with non books uh, entertainment like netflix and uh, social media so we need to take you know we we need to move people from being non readers of books to readers of books and then even readers of books right they have the options to buy online for example and that to at a discount uh, on platforms like amazon or let's say only amazon because that's where most books sell online right and uh, so i realized that uh, we need to have a value proposition where we uh, you know where people are motivated to come make the effort to come to our bookshops they should have good reason to and that's why we built a business on three pillars one was curation right we we really invested a lot in the um, in our interiors the the way we displayed the books the way we do a selection of books uh, we aren't bookstores which are uh, stacked from top to bottom with you know books falling on your head because we can't sell books like a commodity right you need to have a browsing experience for people to discover stuff that they, they don't they don't even know exists right so that's one uh, the second is building a community we are actually kind of bringing people together under our various book club uh, programs uh, we are reaching out to organizations to do institutional uh, tie ups and sales third is uh, convene where we bring people together over events what i just mentioned right when we when you do all this right that's when people want to come place like kunzum and then of course uh, we offer coffee right but uh, coffee is on the house by the way but only if you buy a book i can't think of a bookshop that does the has a similar model they might offer you free coffee but they might not uh, link it to buying a book right but um, yeah so so we were very clear that the only thing we want to sell are books right uh, uh, you know our, our checkout counter only has provision to build books we don't sell teddy bears we don't sell stationery we don't sell croissants or muffins right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and i, yeah, I, I think in, in all this um, what we're really doing is future proofing ourselves right right because things are going to change right uh, people's preferences are going to change uh, how the shop is going to change uh, uh, technologies are going to change right but in our lifetimes and beyond our lifetimes there'll always be some people or many people who would like to read books and they would like to read books printed on paper right so we want to make sure in that future people we have we you know we maintain our market share and more by bringing people to consume to buy books so you have five five stores in the in the northern india area right we have one small store which is uh, 500 square feet uh, we have three stores which are about 2500 square feet each 
and uh, and the last one we just kind of got into expansion and that's going to be about 10,000 square feet what did you have to learn to to become basically the founder of consumer versus a writer i think um uh, i belong to this community uh, called banias in india which are you know and we are we are we are primarily a business community although you'll see a lot of professionals uh, you know from our community uh, you know doing jobs and doing all kinds of stuff but i think uh, entrepreneurship is in our dna mm-hmm. right so my dad was in the government so uh, uh, you know the proposals he would create for uh, uh, his uh, his bureaucratic bosses and politicians were more you know kind of uh, enterprising in nature rather than just pushing files uh, and likewise uh, my dad was in a job my grandfather was in a job but uh, eventually they all quit their jobs and became entrepreneurs so i think for us it was a very it's a very natural thing to happen yeah so you learn the like nuts and bolts of the space you want to be in but uh, i think um, it just comes naturally to us yeah yeah i've known you for a little while i can i kind of sense that when we first met you were by the way i say this cuz we we talked a little bit about this before and i want to touch on this we met over a technology discussion you were just a tech writer you were uh, maybe star you were quite the influencer you were very much a linkedin influencer when we met so there's let's not take away from that but you said something interesting to me a couple of days ago when we we talked again uh and that is you hit a wall of some kind where you had technology fatigue and i've hit a similar wall but i i'm curious what was happening you know in your career and life what was happening in the world when you felt that way. If you go to my uh, social media profiles from day one, I never posted anything uh, very personal there, so you won't know what you know what birthday cake I cut because I never posted about it. <laughs> right. So, so I've actually always used social media for professional purposes, and uh, and uh, and again, um, you know, the reason why I moved from uh, tech and business writing to uh, travel writing because I was motivated to write about uh, India as a destination initially because in the process I was discovering my own country uh, in ways I didn't know about the country and I wanted uh, others to do the same through my writing for me it's always about you know doing doing something where I create some form, some kind of a legacy right and uh, for me technology uh, it's not so much of a fatigue but more of a i think a disillusionment that hey you know what like uh, it's all right you know keep people keep telling me you know oh you are in books that's fine but why don't you get into micro content you'll get so many followers and you'll make so much money but i try to tell them hey you know what i want to write books i want to write long form right yeah there's a market for all kinds of content right but uh, for me you know books is what i what drives me forget the gentleman saying he he was a co-founder of facebook and he was speaking at a event after he bought the atlantic monthly magazine He said something very similar to you. this was seven or eight years ago about how long form content, long um, you know prose, was an area he wanted to invest in. This was what, which is why he bought the Atlantic Monthly magazine. It was just a very strange juxtaposition. He was a co-founder of of the biggest tech company in the world at the time, um, you know, turning to uh, a very long form hundred uh, year old magazine uh, to invest in, and he left Facebook to do that. So it's an interesting journey, Ron, because he's the only other person I think that's ever said that to me. Uh, well, I was one of five hundred people in the room. <laughs> so, so I, I want to get back to though, because you know, at the, at the the baseline of this is you know, books are writing, and you're a writer traditionally, or as your first profession. What do you think from that part of your life um, has impacted or impacts how you make decisions 
uh, today as an entrepreneur because you've made some risky decisions for, by most sort of conventional wisdom to give parts of you know coffee away for free is not a common thing to do. Um, so I'm curious what you think looking back now. You learned as a writer, as a craft, uh, being an author, a traveler, that you take into running you know, a book community. Actually, when I started writing books, uh, I did uh, you know, speak to, when I wrote my first book, in fact, my first book, if you remember, was actually on LinkedIn, right? I because know. You know, that's, that's the, that I was writing that when I was kind of transiting from being a tech and business writer uh, to being a travel writer. But so the book, uh, you know, that was my first uh, book that came out. Um, and uh, for various reasons, I actually uh, published the book under my own imprint, right? And then uh, because I published one book under my own imprint, I said, okay, I should do the next book too, because, you know, it gives me that certain economies of scale. Because when I go to market one book, I might as well market uh, two books or more, right? So, so as a writer, I actually turned entrepreneur, uh, uh, you know, around my books at the same time. Right. So and then, like, like I said, uh, a kind of a natural progression happened. Um, one, I, uh, like I said earlier, it's probably in my DNA being an entrepreneur. In fact, I was building my I built my publishing around my books and I was contemplating turning publisher of uh, books written by other people. Uh, and then this idea came uh, was setting up bookshops. I said, OK, let's set up the bookshops first. And I can always uh, reconsider whether I want to be in, in the publishing space or not also. Right. So, so we are still kind of, we still have to take a final decision on that. But, uh, so actually it's, it was just a natural progression, to be honest. But along the way, there's, there's a story that I read about. I did a little more research on you, about how you came up, not just with the idea of consume, but the actual name was inspired by some of your travels, right? Yep. So, so can you, for a person like me that hasn't been specifically to where you've been, what, what was it that sort of triggered that in you and kind of set you, set you forward in the space? So, um, uh, around 2007, I was at, uh, at the crossroads in life, uh, both, uh, personally and, uh, professionally. And, uh, I didn't know where I was going in life. Right. So hmm. I decided to go everywhere. I sat in my SUV and I decided to do my first trip as a travel writer to this region called Spiti in the Indian Himalayas. And it's like a high altitude, uh, uh, desolate, cold desert. And uh, so I, you know, I drove on day one, uh, on day two, I reached this place called Manali, which is a, like a thriving hill town. Uh, and, the, and the third day of my trip from Manali, I was supposed to go to a place called Kaza, right? So I left Manali and lo and behold, I had never been on the terrain. Um, and within a few hours, I was in the most desolate of situations in my life. In a country like India, for hours, I did not see a human being. I was just driving on our dirt track uh, at, you know, like over 14,000 feet above sea level, no mobile connectivity, low oxygen area. And I, I was thinking like, you know, am I lost? Right. And I kept driving because I had no choice. I couldn't, I couldn't turn back. And I was just, there were no, there were no signposts. There was, there were no, uh, there were no road signs. And then I came uh, upon a hill and I was just like kind of uh, driving up on a winding road, which had space for only one vehicle at a time. Uh, and then suddenly I hit a plateau, right? And there I saw a signboard pointing to a place called Kaza where I was headed, right? And the spot I was standing on uh, was called Kunzumla. On that day, I found my way to where I was headed for that particular day. But standing on Kunzumla, I also found the direction for my own life. I said, I'm going to be writing books and I'm going to be uh, writing on India. I'm going to be writing uh, on my travels in India 
because I'd never stood at such a stunning spot in my life ever. And I said, is this my country that even I don't know about? Yeah. Right. So, yeah, so I came back and called my blog Kunzum.com. And uh, there's a side story as to why it, co- it was called Kunzum because uh, before leaving for this, that place, I had actually reserved a domain called traveltattoo.com and, uh, and the registrar did not uh, send me a notification that uh, it's expiring and I lost that domain. I was pretty upset with them. So I had to think of a new name. So I said like, okay, let's call it Kunzum. Right. So, and that brand is stuck. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a great story. It's so authentic. And I think the lesson learned there is, uh, you know, if you're at crossroads, move forward, you know, I think we all get to them. And if anybody's thinking about visiting that part of the world, I've been to the Himalayas, the Tibetan side, the Nepalese side. Um, if you're going to have an epiphany, uh, the majesty of being in the Himalayas might be the best place to have it. I've, You've never seen Earth that way except for 15,000 feet. Unfortunately for me, I got very, very sick a few times from the altitude and uh, actually ended up crashing my motorbike at one point. <laughs> but that's a different story. Yeah, so we, we, all, we, all, we all fall sick on the, in that altitude. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, you had that accident. But I guess, like, you're talking here, so that's... That's good. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it. I, I told my family about it after I returned to the States. I didn't tell them from I didn't tell them from Tibet. That would have been a very difficult call. So so I'm I'm curious because I have to ask, you know, you're you're how many months into the, the five bookstores you launched up in Delhi? Six months. Six months. So, so it's early stage still. Um are there are there things that you like, you know, I didn't expect that to happen. Um, you know, twists and turns, anything that you ran across that there's no way in heck you would have thought was going to happen. And then two, you know, we talked a little bit about this, um, you know, the need for investment or going it on your own. I mean, are you at that point where you're like, this is just cash flow from operations? I don't need any partners. Very early on, I decided that uh, I'm going to do uh, business the old fashioned way right? Where, you know, you invest your own money, right? You own the property. So you don't have rentals to pay. You keep overheads low. And the only thing you look at is the balance sheet, which is like, you know, profit and loss. That's how business was done. Always done, right? I'm going to sell so many goods or services at so-and-so margin. These are my expenses. And this is what I save, right? And the, uh, so I said, okay, let me start the business this way because uh, I'm trying to build a business. I'm trying to build this business for generations, Right. I don't want to be uh, and um, and I'm working with a certain vision, but the vision is also work in progress. Right. I don't have all the ideas uh, right away, but ideas are evolving as we are going along. Right. And the problem is, if I get um, investors in or I get partners in at this stage, right, they may come in the way of vision formation. They might insist, you know, they might start putting the wrong pressures on me. Right. OK, you know, you need to do, you do your business this way or you need to do this in your business when uh, when i would rather experiment and okay i might fail right but at least i would experiment right if uh, we don't do any discounting but maybe we'll do discounting if need be right uh, we don't want to set up a cafe but we want to serve free coffee right it's, you know let me let me see how it works but if i get investors in and they might start in, insisting that you know sell teddy bears and sell stationery and set up a coffee shop and get into merchandising and all that stuff right i want to learn how to sell more books because if I'm not selling enough books, right, then I don't need to be in this business. I want to learn how to sell books. Even if you scale up, right, 
we don't uh, lose out on the cultural ethos that we're trying to create, right? If it means we stay at five stores for the rest of my life and beyond, we stay at five stores. But if you want to replicate it to 10 or 20 or 100 or 500, right? We need to make sure that what we are getting known for, we are able to replicate at all, uh, at all the stores. I'm going to key on one thing you said regarding the failure piece. And I think a lot of, you know, early, early stage co-founders or early co-founders or people thinking about doing it. It's a true story what he's saying that it's called risk capital, but the people that invested in you are actually in the business of mitigating risk. And that means putting some parameters on the business and the founders to do things in a safer way, which is such an oxymoronic thing, isn't it? That you take risk, risk capital from these venture investors, which sounds like, hey, it's free money almost, but then they're, they, sometimes they'll put you in a box and you can't learn from your failures, which is the whole point of this yep. discussion, right? Is to yep. have the freedom to do that. But I think the other part, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that, yeah, it should be your vision, whether you go from uh, five stores to 500 or say five um, and not anyone else's. I, I don't know about in India, I haven't been there in a long time, but I feel like there's an over uh, indexing on, I have to go from one to 1 billion uh, and be, to be successful. I don't think that's the case. This whole thing, you know, becoming a unicorn and all that stuff, I think it's all jargon, right? Just, you know, just do business the old fashioned way, you know, like, so for example, you know, when I go to Europe for example, um, very often, like you go during school holidays, you'll see many shops which are closed. Why? People just close the shops for three months and travel, right? So yeah, just enjoy what you're doing because, uh, you know, why keep chasing money you're not going to spend on yourself? Right, right. No, it's uh, the term. We could, we could do a whole episode on the uh, fallacy of the unicorn. Uh, sorry for the pun on words. Because ironically, you know, there's another animal called the goat, the greatest of all time uh, that no one talks about. It doesn't necessarily have to be a $1 billion valuation company. But uh, and, and that's really why I want to talk to you because I think your story and your approach to you know, consume is uh, different than what the popular discussion on entrepreneurship and startups in particular are in the Western world. And that is, you know, you must provide a 50 times exit or you're a failure. I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of successful entrepreneurs no one ever heard of that aren't worried about that stuff. Uh, and they're just running, you know, driving great businesses for the customers. You said once that you were, you made a cameo in a Bollywood movie. I need to understand and then find out where this cameo looks like and find it on Google. Is that true? So we got this request from a film producer that, uh, you know, there's a little you know, scene they want to shoot in a movie called Listen Amaya, right? So uh, there are these, uh, you know, popular actor, there was a very popular actor, um, you know, Farooq Sheikh. So he came into my shop, he's actually supposed to meet somebody and he's a photographer, he's carrying a camera and then he comes and does a little chat with me and we, we have this conversation and then, then, he, then he has his meeting uh so it was all all great so but um so when the edited version came out you know my dialogues were cut out actually so i'm, I'm there <laughs> so i'm there it's like a, a blink uh, and you miss kind of a situation but yeah there's like a good visual of uh of the consum travel cafe in that movie and uh and that's not the only uh, you know uh, thing we had with the um, bollywood film producer honor he had made a, um, a movie called My Brother Nickel. Mm. So the screenplay of that movie, uh, after the movie was launched in Konzum, uh, and we had this very famous uh, actress, uh, Juhi Chabla, uh, who was also the lead star in the movie. So she came to our store 
and the tiny shop in Hoskas village where we are located, there were like hundreds of people, you know, just kind of trying to look in because they wanted to see Juhi Chavla. That's amazing. That's amazing. So now I have to find this film. And so now your, your title on LinkedIn should, I think it says something, travel, author, publisher. Now you have to add actor at the end of that. Yeah. Good, good, good one. I, I think I should do that. I think you should do that. And, and I'll, I will like the update if you put it up today. But I, I really appreciated your time, Ajay. This was amazing. I appreciate all your honesty and candor and the things you've gone through. I think your story is amazing. And I look forward to uh, you can hold me to this. When I can get to travel again, I got to get a free cup of coffee after I buy your first book, which I'll note, I never got a signed copy of your first book on LinkedIn, by the way. Okay, so so bring it back if you still have it, right? And I'll sign it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks so much. And, and if anyone's listening wants to check out Consume Cafe, uh, it's consume.com, correct? Yeah, that's right. It's K-U-N-Z-U-M. But thanks so much, Ajay. It was awesome to see you again. And, uh, same here, same we'll, conversation. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to do this again. I'll invite you back for another episode because this was amazingly informative. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Jose Malabo with the JJ. Thanks so much. 